Because Pottermore is still having some problems, this is MuggleCast episode 240 for October 2nd, 2011. This week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast, episode 240. <laughs> 40. I don't even have the Google Doc open. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> 240. Okay. There's been a lot of news, actually. Uh, and we've we've only been away for a couple weeks, and yet so much has happened. Um, uh, DVD news has finally been announced. Oh, a Lego release date. I mean, the more Pottermore drama we get to complain about <laughs> and, and be accused of not being fans of. Um, and then we're also going to bring back chapter by chapter this week, and over the next couple of months, we're going to do a couple of installments. Uh, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Micah Tannebaum. Micah, what's in the news this week? You were uh, talking about the DVD and the Blu-ray, and uh, a lot of news coming out uh, about uh, the Deathly Hallows Part 2 Blu-ray DVD and uh, all these features and uh, special editions, and, and now is really, I think, where we're going to start to see uh, WB maximizing uh, all eight movies finally being released. Uh, but let's uh, let's start talking about the release date. Actually, uh, it's going to be released November the 11th here in the United States, but then not until December. In the UK, and a lot of people were upset about that. Even people here in the US, I saw in the comments, were saying, "Well, these are British-based films. Why are the, why is the DVD and the Blu-ray coming out on December second in the UK?" So British fans have to wait two weeks. That's is that unprecedented? Like because haven't they always released on the same day in both countries before? Yeah, I think they've always released pretty close. But I think the reason that this is happening is because they. Like, for some reason, I want to say it's, it has to do with the holiday shopping season. For some reason, they they do it, they release in December. I feel like we've been through this before, maybe with the Half-Blood Prince DVD. Do you- but it does, I do agree, though. I mean, they are, if you look at the international release date list, the UK is the last country to get it. <laughs> And the I mean, only, I don't know, does that encourage piracy, or what What does that do? No, the only thing I could think of is that with the U.S., there's this huge event going on down in Orlando that's tied to the release of, of the DVD and the Blu-ray, and I'm wondering if they're planning something for the U.K. as well, and maybe that's why it's on December 2nd. That's the only thing I could possibly think of, but to have that kind of a gap. I mean, you're talking about Belgium, Hungary, Brazil... Korea, all getting and no, the, and no uh, offense to these countries. No, no, none at all. But uh, it's just weird that that the UK has to wait so long. Yeah, yeah, it ab- absolutely is. Um, I don't really understand that. But let, but let's talk a little bit about the features that are that are going to be on uh, the Deathly Hallows Part Two DVD Blu-ray. So now um, this is this is not the box set, right? This is just Deathly Hallows Part Two. Right. Let, let's focus on the Blu-ray first. Um, 
They have maximum movie mode, which was successful uh, on uh, on part one with uh, Jason Isaacs, but now it's going to be done by Matthew Lewis. Uh, conversation with J.K. Rowling and Dan Radcliffe, which uh, there have been pieces that have been leaking out uh, on the internet over uh, the last couple of days. The Goblins of Gringotts, which is going to be hosted by uh, Warwick Davis. The Women of Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The inflection of Micah's voice changed, I noticed. Yeah. He was like, he was like, gotta be more. more. Micah's going straight to that feature. <laughs> You're kidding, uh, I am too. <laughs> when Harry left Hogwarts, sounds like a documentary or. Uh, the WB Studio Tour London, the making of Harry Potter. So I guess uh, going to be a sort of behind the scenes look at how this is all coming together at uh, Leafston Studios. And then, of course, deleted scenes. Uh, which uh, everybody's looking forward to. And I know that uh, the DVD will not contain the maximum movie mode, just like last time, uh, but also uh, won't contain the conversation between J.K. Rowling and Dan Radcliffe. But people can probably find that somewhere online uh, after uh, the Blu-ray comes out. Yeah. All right, before we move on with today's show, we'd like to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their great service. One audiobook to consider is The Night Circus, a book just released by Aaron Morgenstern. Publishers Weekly calls it a giant, magical story destined for bestsellerdom. I actually just started listening to it, and I can tell you, I agree completely. And actually, this book has two connections to Potter. For one, Jim Dale is the narrator of the audiobook. He narrates the U.S. version of the Harry Potter books. And two, David Heyman, who's produced the Harry Potter films, is reportedly very interested in turning this book into a film. So to get a free audiobook of your choice, such as The Night Circus, which I do really recommend, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. I'm actually most excited for the J.K. Roll, uh, conversation with Dan Radcliffe and J.K. Rowling. It's an hour long. It's just Dan and Joe talking one-on-one to each other. There's no additional interviewer. If you've seen the footage, it looks great. Joe, I know she looks a little mopey or something. It's kind of weird, but other than that, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a really interesting um, discussion between the two. And I think it was a great idea. I'm, I'm really happy that they that they did that. Yeah, when I read about that feature, I thought, well, that's that's just wonderful because here's J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, and here's Dan Radcliffe, who has portrayed Harry. You know, he's he Dan Radcliffe almost represents Rowling in in, in sort of an unintended way. Um, but I, I think the grace with which Dan has used, you know, his role to, uh, establish a career for himself in the same way that Rowling has built a career around, you know, these books, it just makes it such, so interesting to sit them in a room, uh, you know, across from each other and to just talk, uh, you know, presumably unscripted or minimally scripted about the series. Um, and just the clips that have already been released have been very insightful, it seems. Did you see the part where uh, Dan started talking about uh, Americans being cast, possibly, or or I think it was filming to take place uh, in the United States? J.K. Rowling really doesn't like the idea of there being sort of any American component uh, to Harry Potter. I don't blame her. 
I don't blame her. I mean, the books originated there. That's that's part of the reason I think um, they've resonated so well with fans is it does feel like a genuine British film. It is a genuinely British film series. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't want Americans in it. Yeah. Now, what a, what about Maximum Movie Mode? Did you guys take a look last time with Jason Isaacs? Uh, that was really good because um, they had on the Maximum Movie Mode the last day of filming, I believe. Uh, it was around the scene, the Ministry of Magic, and there was a little, the movie paused and there was a little featurette in Maximum Movie Mode where you saw them filming, um, the last scenes in the Ministry, or they, they filming for the last time, and it was seen in the Ministry. And it was really good. It was really emotional, and I, I imagine they're gonna have little packages like that throughout the film again. Um, Matt Lewis hosting it, mm, alright. I don't know. No comment, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I didn't, I still haven't seen it. I actually acquired the seven part one Blu-ray. It came to me. Um, and, but I haven't watched it yet, but I really want to, um, I like Jason Isaacs, but again, Jason Isaacs isn't exactly a main character. He's got tremendous presence in this, you know, in the film, but, uh, you know, in the same way that Matt Lewis has tremendous presence in part two, right? But he's not, you know, one of the trio. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, when Harry left Hogwarts, that is a documentary that, and it sounds that like it should be interesting. I, I, I guess that's going to be, there haven't been any other details really, but I guess it's going to be about them wrapping up the series. That's the only thing I can um, think of. My impression is that it's about filming on location on the English countryside because you're talking about no longer being able to stay at Leavesden and shoot the majority of the film in Hogwarts. So when Harry left Hogwarts, I assume it means, you know, going, basically finding all these locations for them to film when they're, when they're camping. That, that was my impression, was that it was about Harry not returning to Hogwarts. Instead, they had to find a whole new way to shoot these films, because so much of, uh, well, all of Deathly Hallows Part 1 happens outside of Hogwarts. So I'm looking forward to it being a documentary about um, you know, filming part one, essentially, where it's, you, you know, they had to find all these places because they couldn't rely on, the, you know, the walls of Hogwarts to, you know, f- to spend most of their filming. That was my theory. I thought it could even be about uh, Dan Radcliffe, post-Potter, following yeah. what he's done after he's he's left uh, uh, the sets, at least. Right. Because we know right. he's he's done several things since then. So okay. the the other thing listed here, uh, just really quickly, um, was the the kiss between Ron and Hermione. But where does that factor into what's being offered in in sort of the Blu-ray package? That's in maximum movie mode. Yeah, it's one of the uh, cutaways. I believe is it David Yates who intros it. Yeah. Um. So I mean, Matt Lewis is hosting, but I imagine he'll have sort of some of the other actors come on and 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 you know speak the same way that it was in. Part one, I think, you know, regarding the release date real quick, which we were talking about earlier, I like that it comes out on November 11th uh, because the date, however you put it, even if you put it in Britain, it's 11, 11, 11. Um, so, and everybody knows that. was knows planned, that, of course. Well, that's lucky. It's just, it's lucky. It's, it's a lucky it's date. Lucky. lucky for sales. I'll be purchasing my, oh, maybe they hope so. Um, <laughs> although they've done, they've, uh, they have other tactics for making sure it sells, which we'll get into. But I'm going to purchase my Deathly Hallows Part 2 at 11, 11 a.m. Uh, on 11, 11, 11. 
for extra, there you go. extra good luck. Now, now, what about this uh, Harry Potter, the complete eight film collection? This is also going to be released on eleven, 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 and uh, there's a lot of stuff in here. And again, this is WB marketing the films to the highest possible uh, level. I think. What do you would guys? You, would you say a lot of stuff or a lot of options? Um, because there appear to be, because you can get all eight films, and then you can get all eight films with a pin, all eight films with a Christmas ornament, isn't it? Or am I confusing that with the DVD part two releases? Because they're they're doing like five or six different DVD collections you can get. Some with Hogwarts crest pins, some with a, a Christmas ornament. Have you seen WBShop.com where they they have these sort of the different versions? Yeah, it's a lot. I, I, I personally, I, I don't know why fans, at least people like who listen to this podcast, for example, would buy a complete set when we already have all the DVDs in the first place. Right. You just need part two, and you just want the special features. So. They'll be good Christmas gifts for people who, you know, maybe younger generations who, who are just about to get into the Harry Potter series. But I, otherwise, I don't think those are going to be too big of bestsellers. But I agree, the part two DVDs, they're going to be hot sellers. I mean, you know, just like the movie, the, the ticket sales for when it was in theaters, it was so strong because it was the last one. It's going to, I think it's going to be the same thing where WB, honestly, probably won't even have to try very hard. <laughs> People are just going to buy it just because it is the last one and maybe they didn't see it in theaters or they do want to see it again. And how do, um, how do these really different from, differ, sorry, from, from the ultimate editions? Looking at, you know, having the, this eight film collection. There, there are things in here, but I'm wondering how much of it is crossover with the ultimate well, edition. I wish or I knew. Or is there a lot of new stuff here? Yeah, I wish I knew. I mean, I, I my impression is that it won't have the ultimate edition documentaries, right? Shouldn't they just be for the ultimate editions? And so, otherwise, you know, in, or in other words, aren't the original? Even if they're on Blu-ray, aren't they just going to be ports in terms of features, like menus, the same as they were on the yeah, DVD? Yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, and that's pretty much how the ultimate editions are. If you go exactly. look on. The, the ultimate edition, like the DVD menus, the special features disc, that, that came with the original DVD when it, when it first hit store shelves. So we're so, talking about 11 year old content here. You know, nothing is minus changed. the documentary, minus the documentary from so, the ultimate editions. So yeah, that's basically what these are. And for some people, that is good. If you, if you don't want to buy all eight separately and you're buying them for the first time. And you're a casual Potter fan. This yeah. is a good thing to have. I mean, is it seventy nine ninety five? Is it eighty nine ninety five? One of those two. It's about eighty dollars, I think, on WB Shop to pre order the eight film collection on Blu Ray. I think it's Blu Ray. Yeah, Blu Ray's a hundred. Oh, okay. And this is the one with the the castle on the front, the and the boats going to the castle, and the DVD is um boop, boop, seventy. Okay. I, I'm looking, I'm looking, Amazon. I want them to do like a holographic kind of, you know, a, a comparison between when the boats are going to Hogwarts in year one and the Hogwarts on fire in year two. Cause you know, those posters are so similar. That would be cool. There will, there will be stuff. I mean, look at Star Wars. They're just releasing new deleted scenes now. Yeah. Yeah. With there's that like complete 40 of set. them. I mean, I, I haven't bought that set, but I will. So, so you know, Where'd WB that- is sitting on classic stuff maybe you know even like stuff like bloopers well it's just when you when you brand yourself when you say ultimate edition collector's edition director's edition you know hogwarts set full set it's just it's 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 all noise it's all just noise to me yeah well 
the one thing we did ask David Yates about when I spoke to him was bloopers. And he said, you know, rest assured, we do have bloopers, but we didn't release them early on because we didn't want to put the child actors in a difficult situation. situation. But now I think that they're all, you know, in their 20s you're going to see more of that kind of stuff uh, be released. But my question is, with additional scenes for all of these movies, are they new scenes, or are they just, you know, the scenes that have been deleted and inserted no. in, in... The additional scenes... You're, you're saying, like, the additional scenes that have already been avail- made available, like, as additional scenes on previous sets? Like... Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're not new. Yeah, I assume they're just the... Uh, I mean, I'm just you going know, all through the films here. have typically had... Yeah. What's it say? It doesn't say anything more than additional. And, and, you know, are the shrunken head interviews something that's already been put out there on the Prisoner of Azkaban Ultimate Edition? Yes. Uh, Maybe not even the Ultimate Edition, probably on the Prisoner of Azkaban DVD. See, that's such a shame. They could certainly be more descriptive here. I mean, if they're just repackaging content, I can understand their hesitation, but that's that's just what it seems like is repackaged content and i'm i just get angry when that happens that's all i just little twinge little twang in my my temple of my head there's a vein there um uh, let's move on to uh lego harry potter that's also uh going to be released now on november the 11th uh a good move on the part of uh wb interactive and tt games to uh coincide it and not to lead this no time. not to lead it's well for right now uh, I, I think uh, the release date was rumored to be November the 15th, so not too far off, but ultimately what they decided to do was market this game with the uh, Part 2 DVD and Blu-ray, uh, and uh, from what we've seen so far, I think people are really excited about the game. They really enjoyed the first one, years 1 to 4, and uh, years 5 to 7 closely follow uh, the movies. And uh, the difference, though, is that they do have a lot of uh, book components to them. Um, so they follow the general storyline of the movie, but a lot of, of stuff from the books has been added in to kind of complement it. Mm-hmm. For Yeah, for content. And uh, so um, I'm sure we're all looking forward to that game, and uh, we'll have to review it once it's out. Yeah, kind of. I think I'll probably, uh, I, I do want to try it, uh, I do want to play it, but probably not on Wii. I played the first one on Wii, uh, and I just, I, you know, I couldn't get very far. Actually, I own it, but I couldn't, never really got really far, and I feel like the Wii is limited to, you know, a certain kind of gameplay, uh, where you're using the Wii. I'm going to try, when I get years 5 through 7, it'll probably be on Xbox. All right. Um, just to try something new. Sounds good. Well, uh, next story. The uh, dog who played Padfoot is looking for a new home. This was a was a big story for the fans. I think. Oh yeah, everybody was really moved. <laughs> and uh, his his trainer or his owner, uh, for some reason, I, I think mostly due to work and other responsibilities, just felt that uh, he couldn't take care of Barry. Uh, which is the dog's real name, not Padfoot, uh, and uh, or serious, yeah, or serious, and uh, he he had to give him up, and he gave him up to a shelter along with uh, Porridge, who's uh, I guess uh, Barry's counterpart, his friend, the White German Shepherd, uh, and uh, both of them have been involved in in films throughout the years, not just uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, and 
I'm sure we'll hear a story in the not-too-distant future where one, if not both of these dogs, uh, ends up getting adopted. I'm sure they got a huge amount of offers. I don't even know how you would decide who... <laughs> who who yeah, gets exactly. the dog. Yeah. Based on some of the responses on the web to this news story, you can just tell. I mean, people were like... People not living in the UK were like, how do I get him? You know, can I ship him overseas? How does this work? Like, they were just ready to take him. I mean, and I, I think part of that is, you know, awareness. Could this guy, for instance, the trainer have reached out to the fans? I think he could have. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's probably would be more of a hassle. Well, I'm sure was, that's why you know, he did the story. I mean, if you look at it, why even bother doing a story? Nobody's going to really know that you give up the dog from Harry Potter unless you go to a paper and, and do a, uh, an interview about it. And it blew up. I mean, it, it's all throughout the Internet. All different news outlets were covering it. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just some random paper in, in, in the middle of England. Yeah. And I think Sirius is many people's, I mean, it's my you know, favorite character in the series. So it's, it's not like it's collecting memorabilia here, but, okay, this dog does need a home. And, you know, he's, he's so recognizable like even that photo we found of him you could totally tell it's the same dog and you know it's it's a piece of special potter and it's also a great opportunity for this for this pet whose owner could not take care of him anymore all right uh, last piece of news here and i'm sure we'll spend a couple minutes on it uh it relates to our uh, favorite uh old men on the porch topic and that's uh that's pottermore <laughs> and now I I have I have nothing to add because I have not been into Pottermore since we recorded the last episode. So fortunately, I will not delay this well, conversation. The the big news is that uh, the beta period has been extended, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that really Pottermore wasn't prepared for the volume, uh, the traffic that was going to hit its site. What? And and so really? this period is being extended into October, um, and. Uh, the the official registration period for those who are not beta testers, I think, will open on the end of in the end of October. Right, it's probably right around Halloween would probably be my guess, just coinciding with events in the series. But people have to be a little bit upset if you're somebody who's been waiting, let's say, who who didn't get one of those one million uh, emails, and now you're trying to uh, to get in, and you go, oh man, I got to wait another month. To, to, to even register because and registration here's the problem registration is not going to guarantee you immediate access to the site you may have to wait weeks or months to get in and my question to all this is why 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 is this such a big issue is it server cost is it you know not having the the resources to support the amount of people who want to go to this website at the risk of repeating, you know, myself, I just don't feel like anybody was was they they must have forgotten to bring somebody on board, and that somebody would have been the person to tell them what people actually are going to want out of Pottermore. Because you know, when we did get on through the you know to be beta testers, our biggest complaint, I think, on the previous show was that there just wasn't more to do. Uh, that there was sort of the capacity, there was you know stuff that you're shown, but you can't click, you can't see more, you can't learn more, and it was really a vast wasteland of empty flash animation. Um, that's my opinion. That's my summary of it. But but basically, like you know, just talking about how they've handled this beta process, where even in the Magical Quill Challenge, which wasn't initially announced by J.K. Rowling, it seemed like she was taking something away then. Because not just everybody could sign up immediately. They had to, you know, be on at a certain time of day. Now it feels like they're taking even more away. And I just feel like very early on, 
you know, the only thing they said initially was that there would be a million beta testers. And because they set that, uh, you know, limit, they, they drew the line in the sand about that, you know, they've had to stick with that. But I just don't feel like that was a wise decision given how much, you know, how often the site is crashing or, you know, when, when, you know, how often has it happened for you guys where you go try to get on Pottermore and there's, you know, it has to reload in 15 seconds, 15 seconds server overload due to overwhelming demand. And I'm saying overwhelming is the wrong word here because they said they'd let a million people in. So there should be nothing overwhelming about it if they control the access from day one. The other issue is that. If you go look in the Great Hall, we know there's a million people in Pottermore now. If you go in the Great Hall, you'll see that only 586,000 people have been sorted. So that means there's 420,000 accounts that have not either been used or gotten sorted yet. And now that either means people got really bored once they got into Pottermore and couldn't even make it to Chapter 7, or they <laughs> um, these are multiple accounts. And I, I think I think both may be an issue here. Because when the limited registration period was open in the magical quill process, there was tons of people everybody was really anxious about being one of the first to get in, and I think a lot of people created multiple accounts just to thinking they would increase their chances. And mm-hmm. I guess I guess they did. Um but now a million people really aren't within Pottermore. And the other issue to the story um, to talk about something new here is that now the they've decided to delay the ebooks until 2012, which I'm sure Sony is not happy about because, or or the Pottermore higher ups are happy about because I mean this is this is really the reason that Pottermore exists, um, and now it's being delayed, and which is to launch. You're saying to the launch e-book the, the yeah e-book yeah. Platform? I mean it was supposed to launch in October when Pottermore opened up. And it's not coming out till next year now. And this probably also means that Chamber of Secrets is going to be delayed as well. Right. Well, and, and that's a huge issue for, to. like you're saying, the, the higher-ups uh, at Pottermore as well as Sony because they're missing the holiday window uh, to, to sell all these Yeah, they, they had a... Exactly. And they, they probably had in their financial projections, that probably took into account this huge, you know, this is the first time the Harry Potter books are available on ebook officially, is through this up and coming Sony ebook store, right? So, I mean, all the projected earnings from that, we're talking about, say, everybody who has ever owned the Harry Potter books now wants it digitally, which it's not that many people, but still, I mean, that's, that's, if if half the people want it on ebook now, look at the sales that they're now not going to get until first quarter 2012, as opposed to final quarter 2011. You know that that messes a lot of things up. Yeah, it's 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 bad. It's 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 a mess. Um, <laughs> so, um, and yeah, I mean, so now when the registration does open up to everyone later this month, you're not even going to get in immediately. It's going to be just like the magical quill process. I mean, the Pottermore Insider said it could be weeks or months, right, before you get and, in. And, and that's what that's where I agree. Eric brought up a great point, saying when you control the number of people that are going to have access to the site, and then you're not prepared for it, that's just a really poor job on the part of the people at Pottermore and and the ones behind setting all of this up. Because how can you not be prepared for what? You're expecting what you, you control the limits. You control the limits, essentially. But but then but then the other thing is too, like this time that they're taking. 
I really hope they fix stuff. Like, you know, take all the time you need almost, like like before official registration. I'm happy with no new content as long as once I get new content, it's with the insight of the feedback that they've gotten. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I would really love if they would go back to book one and, and add more stuff. And, you know, based on what we've seen Well, they so do far, say enhancements add more and stuff simplifications have been uh, promised. So they are going to make yeah, changes. Yeah, and that kind of thing is what I would like. Yeah, to, what I'd like to see, you know, moving forward is like, fine, you know, nothing like this has ever been done. So can we cut them a break? Yes, absolutely. I feel like many of breaks can be cut to them uh, for, for taking on this massive project. But they did take it on and, you know, they have a certain uh, dignity to to keep you know, in terms of this. So, so when they, when they're taking this extra time and delaying, you know, registration and, and all this stuff, I really want to see something good come out of it, which is, you know, a really awesome site, uh, you know, better than ever, but, but also with the ability to handle the type of capacity that they should have always known to expect with Pottermore. But, but my question too, like to Andrew is, you know, how new is this news story? Um, you know, that they delayed to the Pottermore insider. When did the insider blog about yesterday? Yesterday, because that was what September thirty-first. You know that they're tell- that they're thirtieth that they're telling people that uh, you know you can't actually get <laughs> a little in a little late on the uh, on the notification for those who are waiting for for normal registration. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Many people, I guess, assumed because it was never mentioned when in October registration would officially open, but people assumed it was either the first or the thirty-first. You know, I feel like that was a discussion. Oh, that we had on the show too. Would it be Halloween or would it be October first? Because she said, "Come October." Well, now we know, but also they just waited till the last day of September to tell us that we weren't going to get in on October first. Like, what's going on here? All around is just disappointing, and the whole situation. And, and yes, it's a beta period for a reason. But I think the whole process up until this point, it it doesn't seem like something that that J.K. Rowling would be in charge of or behind. I mean, I understand it. Or want to even be a well, part of. She's providing the content, and that's really her role. But I just think that this whole situation from you know, back when you had to discover what it was that she was uh, revealing, and then the magic quill, and now getting access and getting that screen all the time. I think part of what they've done, too, is they'll, they'll restrict it to certain uh, – for, for people who have just gotten access – to Pottermore, I think in some cases they restrict people who have previously uh, already entered the site, so that these people can now experience it without, you know, the site crashing on them. Now we're going to get into chapter by chapter. It's been a few weeks or a couple months, but if you remember, uh, we last we were last reading Order of the Phoenix and did chapter six of the book, so that leads us to chapter seven now. And Eric's going to take that chapter. Great. So, where we left off, basically, Harry's disciplinary hearing at the Ministry of Magic is coming up. Um, and in Chapter 6, which is the last chapter we did, uh, at the very end of it, Harry discovers that Dumbledore actually was at Grimaud Place. Harry has been sort of missing Dumbledore. Dumbledore has not been around that much. He finds out that Dumbledore actually came to Grimaud Place and essentially put the nicks on whether or not Sirius could accompany Harry, um, because Harry is dreading this this upcoming hearing. Um, but Harry just kind of doesn't know why Dumbledore would show up and not say hi to him, uh, or, or even, you know, be more supportive of Harry in this difficult time. So that's that's sort of what Harry's feeling. He's, he's, he's obviously very, very worried, um, and of course the next day is when his, when his hearing is. So, 
Chapter 7, The Ministry of Magic, is actually a pretty short chapter, and reading through it, it's it's just very, very funny. Um, Because she's introducing us, finally, uh, to the, the main place where wizards work. You know, essentially... Uh, going back to the boat ride, you know, that Hagrid took with Harry, uh, and he was reading the paper, and Harry said, there's a Ministry of Magic? Well, five books later, now we get to read it, you know, now or now we get to meet it. Um, so that was really exciting. Um, my first question comes from, in the morning when they set off, basically, Harry wakes up, he doesn't sleep very well, everybody's already awake, uh, they said they didn't sleep well, he tries to have some breakfast, can't eat, and he begins to go with Arthur towards the ministry. Now, he asks Arthur, uh, you know, if he normally walks to work uh, in the morning because they are actually taking muggle transportation to get there. And Mr. Weasley's reply is, no, I usually apparate, but obviously y- you can't. So, essentially, his his reasoning for them not just apparating to the ministry is that, uh, you know, Harry can't apparate, but isn't there something in the books called side-along apparation? Uh, or apparition, and it isn't, I mean, that's my question, because in the beginning of book six, Dumbledore and Harry apparate, and it's a side-along apparition, where essentially only one person actually needs to know how to apparate. So is this a book mistake, or did J.K. Rowling maybe not create that at the moment, you know, be, you know, when, when Arthur and, and Harry are walking t- to work, do you think? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe Maybe Arthur wanted to give him, like, the traditional entrance to the Ministry of Magic being the phone booth. I mean, it was sort of, it it was, to me, it was more of an exciting, it was kind of like a classic Joe, like learning how uh, people can enter through a phone booth that brings you down into the Ministry of Magic. I don't know. I just, I I thought, I thought it was cool. And maybe that's why Joe wanted to do it too. It was more interesting than the side along apparition. apparition. Yeah, I agree. It's probably more Mm -hmm. elegant too. And there's no question that Arthur, who had never used this entrance himself, would be fascinated by it. And I think that's part of what sets the tone for this chapter, is that they're walking through, like, the underground, and Arthur is commenting on, you know, the turnstiles and, and how everything is just, just fascinating. Yeah, but isn't it um, part, so, though, that it sets up what happens later on in the book? I mean, how the the group of Harry, Ron, Hermione, Luna, Neville, so on, get into the Ministry... They they wouldn't have known how to get in otherwise if this doesn't take place. Oh, good point. That's actually that's a really good point. Um, so there's that, and then I guess the other half of uh, Mr. Weasley's sentence is that he also wants to use the Muggle way because apparating into the Ministry would uh, not look as good based on Harry is going to the Ministry to be disciplined for using magic. Um, so that, that made sense, but I, I just, it struck me that he said, you don't know how to operate as being well, one of the It reasons. doesn't make sense though, because um, he's with another wizard and he's within a wizarding household. So why would it be an issue for, for him to use magic? Mm-hmm. So at least for the reasons we described, I think it's probably best the way it is in the book, but that was a question. Um, next, the, the minister, um, the visitor entrance to the Ministry of Magic is located in a shabby old telephone box on a street with a few shabby offices, a pub, and an overflowing dumpster. That's my summary. Um, so, Mr. Weasley, he picks up the telephone when they're in this box. They're crowded into this red telephone box, and he dials the number 62442. Um, and I'm asking, do you guys know that there's actually, there's actually a special significance to this, to these, this sequence of numbers? And do you guys know what it is? We, it used to be MuggleCast's number. Don't you remember? 
one one two one eight two zero six two four four two. Dude, yeah, magic. I forgot. Uh, yeah, but it it, it means magic, right? And Joe did not spell that out in the book, right? Right, she doesn't. He it's it's done in dialogue, and Mister Weasley says, "Okay, it's a six, and then a two, and then a four, and another four, and then a two. So you have to basically you have to decipher because you're reading it in dialogue, and you're not reading the numbers with high. Yeah, that's awesome. So. It was a coded way of doing it. It's it's brilliant, and yes, on a t- on a not a touch tone phone, but on a phone that has an alphanumeric, yeah. I guess it's called keys. Uh, six two four four two is magic, and that's the number you dial to well, get down. You can also do it on so our site. Was... I forget what it uh, reveals. Oh, right. It reveals yeah, some hidden content. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that that was just sort of one of those moments of brilliance that I thought I would uh, remind everybody. But you guys are old pros, and of course our Mugglecast <laughs> number was that, so whatevs. Once inside the beautiful atrium of the Ministry, Harry has to pre- present his wand and his self for inspection. A badly shaven wizard takes Harry's wand. He puts it uh, on some kind of a scale. But there's only there's only one scale as opposed to two, so it's not balancing. And the instrument it. Uh, spits out a piece of paper that this this badly shaven wizard then reads it says the core of harry's wand and the length of harry's wand and how many years the wand has been in use because the wizard reads the paper and he asks harry it's been in use four years is this correct but i'm just wondering what the importance of this uh you know examination is uh if you guys had any thoughts on that like why is years of use important and you know what's what's the purpose of figuring out how long the wand is? Like, what what does that matter? Um, isn't it just like a security check? Yeah, and it's sort of like so it's just- you. I mean, the wand chooses the wizard. It is it's it's a it's a very important um, aspect of yourself. Sort of like on a driver's license when in in the real world where you have your weight, your eye color, you know, your height. This is like this is just another one of those things I think that they take into consideration when when checking you in. It's just it's just a part of you. Uh, so that's interesting. And that wizard's name is Eric, by the way. Um, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> which is cool. Um, except he's kind of a he's kind of a jerk. He, he notices Harry, and then Mister Weasley's is like, "Thank you, Eric," and pulls Harry away. Um, so anyway. They go on an elevator ride um, at the ministry, and this is this is where the majority of the chapters, because basically as they go on each level, uh, J.K. Rowling writes what's on each yeah. level um, because the voice announces it, which is really really cool. Um, and it's again, it adds to sort of the humor in light of all this anxiety that Harry has. Yeah, I was fascinated um, by this. His just just learning all date, the. Yeah. The floors and what 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 is covered. I remember reading this for the first time. Yeah, there's so much. There really is so much, and it's relevant to either this book or other books. You know, there's the Department of Magical Games, uh, which obviously had a huge handle in the Quidditch World Cup the previous year. Um, and speaking of level four of the Ministry, it houses the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, incorporating Beast, Being, and Spirit divisions. Um, and I know a couple episodes ago on MuggleCast, we had a question, or I don't know how long ago it was, but we did have a question about Moaning Myrtle, um, because in one of the books, she expresses to Harry, uh, it's actually during Goblet of Fire, I think it is, uh, when, when she's in the, the bathroom, but uh, she says to Harry that, that she had haunted all of Hornby after dying, but that the Ministry made her return to Hogwarts, and we wondered how would they do that. Well, apparently, may, you know, maybe the answer lies in this this department, 
which is the regulation and control of magical creatures, because as we see in this chapter of Book 5, it has a spirit division. Um, so the regulation and control of magical spirits is obviously, they would have a hand in telling ghosts where to be and somehow controlling them. So I thought that that answered a, a long-time Mogulcast question. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. But but things like that, you know, they're just peppered in this in this chapter. And later on in St. Mungo's, the same thing happens, um, where all sorts of important stuff in the Harry Potter world, or unimportant stuff, but, you know, it just fleshes out the world. Um, so then Harry gets uh, to visit the Auror office, which seems like a really cool place. Everybody has a cubicle. Uh, and there it's either it's either a bunch of wanted posters or some Quidditch teams, I guess, on everybody's cubicle, uh, which I thought was a really cool cool thing. Uh, Kingsley hands Mr. Weasley a a what turns out to be the Quibbler, um, actually, which is kind of a book too soon oh, uh, in little, a good way. A little foreshadowing, kind of. Yeah, I think it's about Sirius Black. Essentially, they're tracking Sirius Black, I think we find out later, but it's, you know, they obviously... Kingsley and Mr. Weasley, in this whole conversation that they have in the Auror office, have this sort of fake conversation where they don't really know each other that well. Um, which I thought was really interesting to read because Harry sees that they have to put on this face to be safe, essentially. Like, I think at one point, Kingsley and Weasley, they're, they're like finishing their conversation and Mr. Weasley mutters, oh, if you can make it out of here by seven, Molly is making meatballs tonight. So it's, it's just very funny. Um, and also they go to Arthur's office and apparently, Oh, there's these uh, muggle muggle artifacts, uh, as there should be. But Arthur says that he and his uh, roommate or cubicle mate Perkins have been trying to get a window um, in the office, but that the ministry doesn't think that they need one. Essentially, there are these enchanted windows. He says, uh, which is kind of cool because they're underground. Um, and I feel like real businesses don't. Micah, do you know this? Like real businesses have like windows underground like just because doesn't it it like builds morale if you see sunshine right i don't think businesses are ever underground you always have an office with a window because you do need that you do need to feel like you're not trapped in a cave or a dungeon or something so i mean it's definitely a good idea that they did it and of course with with magic it is possible so yeah, with fake lighting, I feel like it, it creates a uh, more more like psychologically. If you have light in your in your, you know, what looks to be sunlight or imitation sunlight, that it builds morale. Um, so that well, one thing that uh, I did notice from the last uh, job that I had, um, they were redoing a lot of the the floors, and what they tried to do was was create it such that more natural light was coming in, uh, and I think that's something that a lot of businesses these days do look to do um so that it it does boost morale it, it is more positive on uh on most days uh, when there is sunlight so uh not to kind of go off on a tangent but yeah they they do look to do those types of things so finally um perkins rushes into mr weasley's office and tells them that harry's hearing has changed both its time and its venue the new location is in old courtroom 10 which hasn't been used in years. Uh-oh. So to get... Yeah, this is odd. Arthur's like, I don't even know... what That doesn't make any sense. So apparently the, the elevator doesn't even go as far low as these old courtrooms. And Arthur have to take... Uh, Arthur and Harry have to take the lift down to level 9, which is the Department of Mysteries. It comes into play a little later in the book. 
and they have to take flight. They have to actually walk down like corridors and stairs from level nine, where the Department of Mysteries is, to get down to these old uh, dungeons. And and the corridors are lit by torches. It's very medieval, archaic. And Harry mentions that it, or Harry feels as though he's going down to Snape's dungeon. Um, so, uh, sure enough, uh, the, the, he's, they're actually already late, uh, for, for the meeting because the time has changed and they say they have to be there five minutes ago. So this is not a good way to start sort of the, the, the hearing here. And, and Harry is at the end of the chapter, he's basically pushed in, uh, shown the right door by Mr. Weasley, who says he cannot accompany him. And, and Harry's finding himself all alone. Yeah, so that really kicks off uh, Chapter 8, The Hearing, and uh, Harry recognizes the courtroom uh, that he's in from when uh, he went into the pensive back in Goblet of Fire, and he realizes that he is in uh, the same room that the Death Eater trials uh, were held in uh, when he saw uh, Bellatrix Lestrange and uh, Igor Karkaroff and uh, Barty Crouch Jr., so right off the bat, he clearly uh, is gone from being probably very uneasy to extremely uneasy. And uh, he approaches the same chair that uh, he remembers the, the, um, the chains kind of shooting up and, and tying the Death Eaters down. And uh, fortunately for him, though, that doesn't happen. And uh, he... he sits down before the the entire uh, Wisengamot, and uh, at the head of it is Cornelius Fudge. And uh, he also sees Percy, and, and, you know, at the very least, you know, the, the last bit of hope that he has inside of himself is uh, is for Percy to kind of recognize him, and Percy doesn't even acknowledge that he's in the room. And, uh, you know, you, you can kind of see... Really, the the initial change in Percy now is he's gone from, you know, at least being somewhat cordial towards Harry to pretending as if he's not even there. Yeah, I think it's so severe. I mean, this is these are the courtrooms that they tried Death Eaters in, you know, and now Harry's for for a little misuse of magic here, you know, it's it's just very intense in suspense. Right, but but earlier in the book we hear for for Harry not to even ask about Percy and and now we can kind of see why. Yeah, and and just um in the again in the previous chapter when they're in Arthur Weasley's office, there's a picture of the Weasleys, but Percy Harry notes that that Percy seems to have walked off uh out so he's not even in the picture. He's not even appearing in pictures with the rest of his family. And that that's very so it's very clear that, you know, again in in this in this chamber that that Percy is kind of not exiled, but but he's 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 disowned himself, you know, from every almost everything they stand for, uh, or everything recognizable. And it's sad, and an interesting plot point because it's like, why would you know see, seeing someone leave the the Weasley family clan? It's always been so, such like a a I I mean I I almost said perfect, but a, a happy family. Um, and then suddenly there's yeah, this like I mean, drama, and it's and it's surprising. Yeah, heck, if there were an opening, if I knew there were an opening in the Weasley family, I'd join in. <laughs> I'd dye my hair red. And, uh, right? But, but it just seems like, yeah, such a nice family. So, uh, 
Fudge starts to make introductions. He introduces himself, uh, Amelia Bones, uh, and then Percy as well, and uh, starts listing what the uh, the crimes are that Harry is being charged of. And all of a sudden, we hear the voice of Dumbledore, uh, and Dumbledore really appears out of nowhere and and says that he is uh, counsel for the defense, and. Harry notes that at this moment he feels something like Phoenix Song inside of him uh, when he sees Dumbledore. Uh, but Dumbledore, much like his odd behavior at Grimold Place, refuses to meet uh, Harry's eyes. And this becomes a larger uh, plot point throughout uh, the rest of Order of the Phoenix. And uh, so, Eric, you brought up the fact that Clearly, Harry's time for his trial was changed, and he just uh, gets there on time. Uh, but there's a little bit of a funny back and forth between Fudge and Dumbledore, and Dumbledore notes the fact that while he didn't receive the owl that was sent to him, by lucky mistake, he arrived at the Ministry three hours early. Uh, so did he, in fact, suspect that something like this would happen? Yeah. Uh, I, I think the problem is that 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 Fudge really wants to stick this on Harry, like for for whatever reason, and 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 it could it could be coming out of this this large issue that at the end of you know year four, both Harry and Dumbledore said that Voldemort's back, and that's essentially what this hearing is even all about. Uh, is you know a real ploy, real strong ploy to discredit Harry and you know maybe even expel him, and it's a lot of it, it makes Fudge a villain. Even even more so than he has been in the past, but it, but it really starts to make him a villain because his ignorance is now to the point where it's to, it's really affecting the order, the natural order of things, which is you know for Harry to go to school, and and you know I feel like this scene is well represented in the film, you know where Michael Gammon as Dumbledore says, you know surely it's it's become standard practice to hold a full trial for you know a little case of a, you know a student essentially out of bed, you know, but. I really think that that fudge is 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 showing how scared he is about about everything because you know changing the time I think Dumbledore having known fudge for so long could absolutely predict that this that this would happen and who knows if an owl was even ever sent you know fudge asked Dumbledore did you get you know oh so you received the owl we sent you know that's a quote unquote owl that's you know who says they ever sent one uh, notifying Dumbledore of the, um, you know, and Fudge clearly it had it, has it in for didn't. Harry. I mean, there, there's evidence. The, the evidence against him is not strong at all. He was clearly acting in self-defense, and uh, you know, this just shows that that Fudge just wants to nail him. Yeah, no question. Uh, and this kind of brought up uh, an interesting question. You know, when Dumbledore comes in and says that he's there to. Uh, speak on behalf of Harry and, and argue in his defense. You know, we saw the trials for the Death Eaters, but there didn't seem to be anybody to speak on behalf of them. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, is the judicial system in the Potter world similar to the one we have, or how does that work? Because uh, clearly they, they've committed crimes and we know that but every person is entitled to to somebody speaking on their behalf and it didn't seem like there was anybody uh in the case of you know all the memories that we saw in the pencil. who would though 
Uh, yeah, I'm sure that in dark times it would be inadvisable to associate yourself with other Death Eaters. I mean, unless it's a case where you're their family members. Like, that's what made the trial of Barty Crouch Jr. so interesting was that, you know, his father was so ruthless that he would try his son and, and, and do so without representing him. And, you know, Crouch's wife, poor, poor gal, uh, while she was alive, you know, was, was, had to sit, you know, in the crowd of that hearing. But again, it's a situation where they didn't, uh, you know, Crouch Sr. had very little interest in protecting his son from the full extent of the law. And so perhaps back then they could have had a counsel, but I feel like it would have been treated or met with impunity with this, with this, this heavy uh, dislike towards the dark arts because Voldemort back then Voldemort was killing everybody's family like left right people were you know dead so if you were to somehow defend a Death Eater on on trial you may it doesn't be- matter though every criminal has a defense attorney it doesn't matter what crimes you commit but in the Wizarding world do they I mean that's what I'm asking yeah I I I don't know I feel like they I feel like they don't almost because i mean they're already in azkaban right i mean wh- you know when we see some of those trials well like let's for say Karkaroff, before that they're yeah, arrested I mean, they have to go before a trial i think based on what i've what we know about Sirius black right like there were the witnesses and the witnesses obviously they saw the wrong thing or they reported that they saw the wrong thing but the problem with that is that they wiped their memories because they were all muggles so immediately after collecting the reports from the muggles that saw Sirius Black get arrested they wiped their memories so you all you have to go on really to convict Sirius Black is uh the the word of the collectors right i mean the the people who collected the memories um it's not a situation where you can have witnesses that were necessarily there at the same time i think although again what helped sirius get convicted was that dumbledore gave evidence in his trial so i just don't know it sounds like there was a trial then if dumbledore gave evidence right so perhaps in all these cases there are people to you know defend I just don't think, I mean, if your question is if everybody is entitled to a lawyer, perhaps, but, you know, I can certainly see why there wouldn't be. I feel like the pressure to defend somebody like this would be too high for in a lot dark of people. Times. Unless it's... Like you said at the beginning. In, in dark yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the, they start the uh, the trial, and Amelia Bones is very impressed by the fact that Harry can produce uh, a corporeal Patronus. And, uh, you know, I, I think you start to get a feeling that while Fudge is clearly against Harry, Amelia Bones is, is a fair-minded witch and is probably going to give him in a, a fair trial. And mm-hmm. uh, Fudge fails to believe Harry's story about the Dementors. And Dumbledore then decides, well, I'm going to call in our witness. And he brings in Arabella Fig. And she tells her account of, of what happened, but it's not very convincing. And uh, it's apparent that she was coached. Should we be surprised that Fig was coached by Dumbledore? Should we be surprised? No. Because, I mean, the, the character of Miss Fig uh, is a nervous one, a weak one. I mean, you know, Dumbledore had her just keeping an eye on Harry at Privet Drive. Um, and that's really the only thing she could do. Just keep an eye out and alert Dumbledore or someone else when, if, if there were ever to be trouble. So, um, but, but Dumbledore really needed her to stay in trial because she was one of the witnesses. So, um, 
I think, I think the coaching was necessary to help ensure that Harry would actually be, uh, get, you know, be, be proven innocent. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because in, in an interview after the book was released, J.K. Rowling said that squibs can't see Dementors. But when you go back to what happened, uh, in that alleyway, when Fig shows up, she knows that Dementors were there. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's interesting. It, it, maybe it's something that she can sense, but not necessarily see. Yeah, which is the problem with having her as a witness in this in this in this discussion. Because the last thing the ministry wants to believe is that there actually were dementors, right? And 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 the witness is this squib who actually can't see, but perhaps can sense dementors. And so you have a situation where Harry knows he was defending himself. Fig knows that Harry was defending himself. But and, and the ministry knows that he produced the Patronus charm, and it doesn't make sense to produce a Patronus charm in front of a muggle unless you're protecting yourself and the muggle against Dementors, but it's really a situation where it's completely fair to, you know, pick the side that's going to suit you best, which is what the ministry does and it's what Harry does, you know, but, but Harry, we know that Harry's in the right, but the ministry... You know, they're, they're in the situation where they know he produced the Patronus charm. His defense is, well, there were Dementors. And that's very inconvenient for the, the ministry to accept. Um, when they can't. Right. So, it. so you do get a lot of back and forth now between Dumbledore and Fudge. And, and Dumbledore ultimately says that he doesn't believe the Dementors were there by accident. And Fudge thinks Dumbledore is mad. Uh, and then Dumbledore says, we must ask ourselves why somebody within the ministry ordered a pair of Dementors into that alleyway on the 2nd of August. So now he's really starting to challenge uh, Fudge because if he, he's basically going through all the, the rationale that Fudge is providing and he's saying, well, the only option that you're leaving on the table, Minister, is that somebody within your uh, command decided to send two Dementors to a Little Whinging. Which is so, exactly what happened, as we know later. You know? Does he know? That's the thing. You know, Dumbledore is very smart. Uh, but yet, but it couldn't, he couldn't know it was Umbridge. Like, he couldn't know specifically it was Umbridge. Because if, if, if he knew it specifically that it was Umbridge who ordered the Dementors, I don't think he would have let her into Hogwarts. Like, Or maybe he would, to keep a closer eye on her. Dumbledore knows all. I think he absolutely knew. It's some way or another. He's so well connected. He he could have a source inside the ministry that you know confirm this to him. Maybe, but I think isn't I mean, later on. We'll have to review this later on when we find out. But I feel like Fudge certainly doesn't know that that um that Umbridge went and did that. Like Umbridge was acting in Fudge's best interest, right? But 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 she did it secretly so that because she was essentially a- achieving his goals without like, but that way he doesn't carry the guilt of it. You know, was it Dumbledore's choice to have Umbridge in Hogwarts? I mean, wasn't it? Yeah. No. So I mean, well, no, but I'm sure he he really could have prevented it, right? I mean, if he knew that she was maybe. the one who sent the Dementors on Harry. Well, that's what we're getting to in a in a, in a little bit. Uh, but we are introduced to Umbridge for the first time, and uh, she's described as a large, pale toad. She was rather squat, with a broad, flabby face, as little neck as Uncle Vernon, and a very wide, slack mouth. And I just thought it was interesting that right after Dumbledore says that it had to be somebody in the ministry that did it, it's Umbridge who speaks up. So, yeah, a little bit of foreshadowing there that it was Umbridge who was responsible for this. And... uh 
you know, she, she, uh, she was Imelda provoked. Staunton has that great line in the movie where she says, you know, pardon me, uh, Professor Dumbledore, but I, you know, what, what is it? Uh, it, it sounds as if you're insinuating that the ministry had something to mm-hmm. do with this. And, you know, we can tell that she's a bitch right from the start. <laughs> uh, so, uh, now more back and forth continues between Fudge and Dumbledore, uh, about, what Harry has been accused of and whether or not he had the right to defend himself. And and really the question I have is, what does Fudge hope to gain from convicting Harry here? I mean, you start to bring up a lot of what's happened uh, at Hogwarts previously, and Dumbledore makes the point that it's not the Ministry's business what Harry does at school, and that they cannot expel him uh, for what he has done. And that's where I really think it all begins, going back to what you were talking about before with, with, you know, Umbridge being allowed to teach there. It's not, uh, it's not Dumbledore's choice. Umbridge is forced upon him. And, you know, I think this is really where Fudge gets the idea. Well, if Dumbledore thinks that it's not our business what goes on at Hogwarts and that we can't expel students, well, I'm going to show him. I'm going to put one of my officials right in the the teaching ranks. Right, right, and 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 that makes sense. Um, yeah, it it just it, but, it makes sense that that's that's. But a back to the other step. question: what what do you guys think Fudge hopes to gain from convicting Harry? I mean, he is 15 at this time. Well, he wants to discredit. He just wants to discredit. Mm-hmm. I think he senses very, very rightly so that, that that maybe even that he's wrong about Voldemort, but just in general that that Dumbledore is such this force for good here that he's clearly raising Harry to be his greatest defender. To you, you know, whether it's for Dumbledore's purposes or for the good of wizard kind, Dumbledore has put all his stock in Harry, and you know, Fudge is more inclined to believe that Harry's a misfit. And so any chance that Fudge can get to disrupt this process of Dumbledore essentially raising an army, you know, against Fudge, uh, starting with Harry, who is very clearly the poster child, you know, then he's going to he's gonna exploit it. He's going to exploit that opportunity. All right. Well, th- the next part uh, that I want to talk about goes back to the quote that you mentioned uh, before Eric, uh, that Dumbledore says, and and really, what I think Dumbledore is doing is is he's trying to make it very plain and clear to the other members of the Wise and Gamut that are sitting there that something is is really amiss, and and the practices that Fudge has been using are really uh, out of character of of what the minister should be doing, uh, because he says, in the few short weeks since I was asked to leave. It has already become the practice to hold a full criminal trial to deal with a simple matter of underage magic. Uh, and what I want to know is, yeah, he's the minister, right? Okay, we get that. But how could he justify calling a hearing of the Wisengamot for such a minor offense? I think it's the same reason that Eric just brought up. He just wants to disprove Harry. He wants to prove that he's wrong. And he wants to make a statement, you know, that if anybody goes out there and tries to prove that, you know, Death Eaters are attacking or Voldemort's back or whatever, that that they will take action and they will put you through a full a full trial um, or through a hearing. And, and just like in the real world, right, higher profile cases get more mm-hmm. attention, you know, and they're therefore dealt with, you know, they have higher security. Um and lots more TV cameras. But, you know, I, I feel like it's a higher-profile case from the start, so perhaps that also aided in them 
maybe, and I may, I'm talking about the members of the Wizengamo, saying, okay, maybe this wouldn't normally happen, but I, you know, they're going to support the minister, not just because it's minister, but maybe it makes more sense since Harry's a high-profile case. Yeah. Well, he's only a high-profile case because they're making it one, and because he's Harry Potter, obviously. But well, he's it's, Yeah, it's just everything is being manipulated here. All the laws, all the rules are being manipulated so that they can get a guilty conviction out of somebody who is clearly in the right and, and is innocent. And I, I think, think this, that this, speaks to a larger issue. It and also... Think, yeah, go on. No, I'm just saying paralleling it between our world and, and, and the series, you know, the, we, we spent many episodes talking about, uh, you know, certain, uh, you know, comparisons between what goes on in the wizarding world and what goes on in the real world and how, you know, JK Rowling obviously took, um, examples of things that have happened in, in history and, and sort of infused them into the series. Well, I, I think looking at this in another light, which is, which is the, the, the character building that this does for Harry, um, because I, I think that, the, you know, this experience, this negative experience with being thrown, you know, to the wolves, essentially, uh, you know, by the minister himself, allows Harry, you know, first of all, it sets the stage for what's going to happen with Umbridge, which is that they have to disobey a teacher because she's an evil witch. Um but, you know, and disobey the government because she's an evil witch who, who is not in, you know, uh, morally aligned. Harry has to be prepared and he's prepared by this to eventually set the ministry, the law, the governing body of law aside because it's what he needs to do to fight Voldemort. So I, th- I think this is one of those things that really sets his character, um, you know, up. It really builds, uh, builds his distrust in the government. Um, you know, because they're doing this to him. So maybe that makes him more sympathetic to us as readers to, to, to get behind his disobeying the law, uh, which, which he does later. He hasn't done it in this case because, as you say, he's in the right. Um, but perhaps, you know, in the future, when, and when he breaks into the ministry, it's all for a good cause um, and it can all be justified. And I think maybe that's, maybe that's why this whole thing was important. Yep. So what ends up happening is they go to a vote and Harry is cleared of all charges and uh, that's where the chapter ends. Uh, Dumbledore leaves the courtroom without ever saying a word to Harry. And so that that plot line continues to develop or not develop, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but it's, it's going to become a major issue throughout the course of Order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, that's chapter by chapter. Chapters six and seven of order, or seven, seven and eight of Order of the Phoenix. And, uh, in maybe another episode or two, we'll be back with another chapter by chapter. So to wrap up the show, we're going to do a couple emails, then a little preview of what's to come on future episodes of MuggleCast to wrap up the year. Um, first of all, this email from Black Eyed Lily, 49 of Palm Harbor, Florida. She writes, or he, Oh, no, it's a she. In your last episode, 239, you read an email from a listener commenting on listening to past episodes can reveal times that MuggleCast staff made very accurate predictions to events in Book 7. They referred to Episode 71 and a comment about whether Harry might be called on to sacrifice himself, but then not have to. I've got a better reference than that. 
While I'm amazed Ooh. that you discussed the Harry is a Horcrux theory as early as episode one, it is episode six that blows me away. In that episode, Jamie speculates that Voldemort accidentally made Harry a Horcrux when he first tried to kill him, and that is why he has this special connection to Voldemort's mind and shares skills like Parcel Mouth. I think that was an amazing theory very early after the release of the Half-Blood Prince book. Love the show, and the old episodes are still entertaining. I'm having computer issues, so I can't play the clip, but very well done, Jamie. <laughs> wow. Wait, will those computer issues be resolved by the time you edit the show? Um, yeah, I just can't play stuff through. So, yeah. Oh, okay. My, but the listeners will hear yeah. Yeah, you, sh- you should still play it on the episode. Yeah, that's a good point, because, okay, so Voldemort, say Voldemort put a Horcrux into Harry, well, if he wants to kill him so bad, then why would he try to kill one of his own Horcruxes? Hmm. I like no, that. he didn't mean to put the Horcrux in, that's the whole point. He inadvertently like idea, made though. the Horcrux when his spell backfired. Slughorn said that to create a Horcrux, you had to kill, and then knowingly put the part of your soul that you've created into the Horcrux. And why would Voldemort want to uh, make Harry a Horcrux if he's just going to kill him straight afterwards? The only thing that could possibly happen is that Dumbledore said that when he tried to kill him, he put a piece of him inside that he didn't realize. So the only thing that it could be is that Voldemort inadvertently put his part of his soul into Harry after he tried to kill him. And now that Harry is a Horcrux, it you know doesn't really bear well for him surviving the series. Which is probably the biggest... We don't know like, what process there is that goes into making a No, exactly, but... But Dumbledore said that uh, he, he unwittingly or unknowingly transferred powers uh, to Harry that night. Um, he doesn't really... And, it, it, that was in, No, that was in Chamber of Secrets. So and it was after he with found the, the diary, so... Uh, and Dumbledore says in Half-Blood Prince that he knew then about the Horcruxes, or he kind of figured it. Um, but Dumbledore said he transferred powers. He didn't say, you know, he transferred his soul... Or, or thing. Harry Scar, Harry Scar can't be the powers that he's got. I mean, you know, the Scar tells him when Voldemort's close, or it did, but the power that he has can't only come from the Scar. So it had to be something else that was put into him. So it had to be part of his soul. No. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Just because, like, uh, Dumbledore said it would be very unwise to trust another living thing with your soul. Because uh, you could probably do something about it. But then Harry would... Yeah, exactly. Now he's practicing like legitimacy against Harry or whatever, so or glumancy or whatever. Next email is from Allison23 of Stone Ridge, Virginia. She writes, Hey, Mugglecasters, first of all, I'd like to say that I have been a longtime fan of the show, and I always enjoy listening to your discussions on the series, films, and everything in between. Here's my question. Do you think WB will ever release Deathly Hallows Parts 1 and 2 as one film? Because I, like many other Potter fans, would love to experience the two parts as one without having to switch DVDs. Well, just wanted to hear your thoughts. Since we did talk about the DVDs, I thought that was a good question. I mean, why 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 don't we see a set that's just parts one and two combined? Well, could you really fit four hours of uh, media onto a you know onto a disc? And would you want to like whether or not this film was on you know VHS or Laserdisc or you know CDs DVDs? You're gonna have to switch media. Like it's a long. Yeah project i i don't see in other words i don't see the ha- uh, i don't see it as a hassle to switch dvd you know between the movies you just plug it in there's a main menu you just push play right i mean that's was, just that's all there is to it still would be cool though if it was an uninterrupted uninterrupted uh you know transition i think i think for blu-ray they could probably put both but yeah definitely not dvd 
Well, w, uh, WB, knowing them and how they've marketed, you know, these sets with the Christmas ornaments and the house pins, I'm sure that it's not unlike them to, to possibly do that release in the future. And I think it would be pretty cool. And depending on what special features come out with it, I think it would maybe even be worth buying. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I'm totally content. I feel like the is I, I don't feel like it's a problem to put the movies in back to back. And I think that that's never a better time to take like a bathroom break true. Um, than between two films. That's true. All right. And the final email is a chicken soup today. Nicole, 16 in New York. Hey, guys, I just wanted to thank you for being awesome. I had a really tough day today because my cousin is leaving for Coast Guard boot camp tomorrow. The next time I see him will be in either late November or early December when he graduates. Then he will have five days with us until he is stationed. We won't find out where he will be stationed until probably middle to late October. He will be serving for four years, and I don't know how often I'll be able to see him. I don't even know if he will be home for Christmas. We visited him today to say goodbye, and on the car ride home, all this was running through my head, and I began to cry silently. Trying to hide it from my mom and sister, I rolled down my window and listened to an old episode of MuggleCast. You guys helped me take my mind off things and even made me laugh. I thank... I thank you from the bottom of my heart for providing me with comfort today and for endless entertainment every other day. I hope you guys continue for a long time, even though the books and movies have ended. Love you guys. Love, Nicole. Well, thanks, Nicole. And um, we wish the best for your cousin about to be stationed and heading away. Yeah. We wanted to talk also today about, um, over the next few weeks, we do have several fun ideas for episodes planned, um, because there's a lot uh, happening in, in Potter World over the next few months. Um, first of all, of course, the Deathly Hallows Part 2 DVD. We will have a review episode where we break down everything on the DVD Blu-ray and, uh, you know, complain about it most likely, but also try to throw in a few <laughs> positives as well. And also, for the first time ever, we are going to do a Deathly Hallows Part 2 DVD... Well, for the first time ever, we're going to do a Harry Potter DVD commentary. And we will do it for Deathly Hallows Part 2. And basically what a commentary is, in case you don't know, is we will record ourselves talking about the film in real time as we watch it. So then you will be able to take that audio file and play it back with the movie... And it will be as if you're watching it with us and we'll comment on different things that we see and, you know, point out little things and it, it, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, no, we are not going to do this for the, <laughs> for the other movies. Oh, no. Do you really? want to? I mean, that, that would be a huge undertaking. Uh, no, the, the problem is too, they're two and a half hour yeah, films. It's, so it's a, it's a lot to download yeah. and a lot to edit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe if, maybe like we could do like the first one or I don't know. Never say yeah, never, right? Yeah. But yeah. Um, but for now, no plans to do any other ones. Just just part two, and I think that's probably. I mean, it's so action packed that a a a commentary is so perfect for it because you can really talk nonstop about what's going on on the screen and not miss anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then also, we're planning to do um some interviews from the Quidditch World Cup, which is going to be. In November in New York City, it's actually the weekend that the Deathly Hallows Part 2 DVD comes out. Um, Mike and I went to it last year and it was so much fun. Um, so this year we're going to bring a little microphone and we'll, we'll talk to, um, some of the players, the, the guy who runs it all, Alex ben- Benipe, uh, Benepe, if that's how you pronounce his name. Benepe. Benepe. Well, wonderful. Thank you. 
and uh, we'll talk to the fans too, uh, just about the experience. It's really cool, um, and it's so much fun. And so we'll do that tentatively. <laughs> so long, so long as we're not going to that thing at Universal, but I, I don't know. Uh, and then final, um, but yeah, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, you look at the venue uh, uh, transition. I guess you could say from where we were last year, which was in a park, yeah. right on the on the west side of of Manhattan, and now they're at Randall's Island in this brand new stadium, uh, and you know, just going to be uh, a weekend full of Quidditch, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it is really fun to watch because you, you you say to yourself, Quidditch, how can you possibly make a sport out of this uh and how can you possibly you know do this without flying and it's and these are real athletes i mean and they hit each other and they're not messing around and uh and the other thing i thought was really cool that i that i learned about it was because the person who who kind of started this whole quidditch world cup idea was a comedian that's where all the uh, the play-by-play announcers come from. They're kind of improv comedians, and that's why they were so funny when we were sitting listening to them do the matches last year. Oh, that's great. That's great. And I saw this list of all these colleges that are now participating in the IQA, even the ones that are not, you know, even official yet. The number of actual colleges, and it just shows the, the, the spread of the reach of Harry Potter, but also that, 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 you know, so many people are getting into a sport that everybody seems to really like. Um, and they're competing and they're able to, to do this Quidditch World Cup. This is the fifth one. I don't recall hearing about any of the other ones besides last year. So it's just growing and growing and growing. And, uh, you know, the change of venue reflects that. It's going to be amazing. I wish I could go. Yeah, it will be fun. And then finally, um, uh, we'll also, of course, do a year in review episode. And that'll probably be the last episode of, of 2011. But in between those four episodes, we'll, we'll have, two or three other episodes. So there's still a lot of MuggleCast coming out this year. Uh, probably seven episodes before um, the year is out. So so it's wow. actually going back to being on a little bit of a more regular yeah. schedule. It's definitely not going to be monthly over the next right, couple exactly. of months. That'll put us really close to episode 250. We're yeah. looking to do that, I guess, maybe January, yeah, February. Definitely. So that's huge episode. J.K. Rowling will be on the show. <laughs> oh, you're kidding? After what we've been saying about Pottermore? Yeah, no, yeah definitely not <laughs> the happening The expose. Now. Yeah. Um, so, to wrap up the show, just want to remind you about the MuggleCast website. On MuggleCast.com, you can find everything you need about the show on the right side. You'll find the Twitter. Our Twitter account is Twitter.com slash MuggleCast. Our Facebook is Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. Our fan Tumblr is MuggleCast.tumblr.com. And also on the MuggleCast website, you can find links to subscribe to us on iTunes, take the manual RSS feed, download old episodes. Maybe you want to download some earlier episodes, uh, you know, like the first 10. And here are our Deathly Hallows theories. Those are always fun. You can find us making predictions that are very wrong come, or maybe very correct. <laughs> and people should know that they're there. I mean, it's, we still get so many emails from people asking, well, all the episodes aren't on iTunes. How do I get to them? Well, you got to go to the MuggleCast site. Every exactly. episode is available to be downloaded. As well as transcripts, you know, and I love reading those transcripts, actually. Like, actually reading. You know, I can hear our voices, um, you know, and remember. But, but at the same time, the transcripts are a great resource as well. And you can Google search them for crying out loud. So it's a great way to find which episodes we said what on. Um, you know, if you're if you have some fond memories, you want to get back to. It. Well, thanks everyone for listening from Hypable.com. I'm Andrew Sims from Mogulnet.com and Illinois Apple District. I'm Eric Skull, <laughs> and from MSNBC.com. I'm Mike Atten. 
Great. Glad to hear that's going well, Micah. We'll see everybody next time for episode 241. <laughs> Bye. Bye.